G'day there, I'm Adam Spencer, and this is Telstra Behind the Mic. My guest today has one of the most fascinating career transitions you'll ever hear. From police officer to world-renowned expert in artificial intelligence and ethics, Dr. Katrina Wallace has been recognised by the Australian Financial Review as the most influential woman in business and entrepreneurship. Katrina is the executive chair of Boab AI, Artesian Capital's AI Accelerator, the founder and CEO of Ethical AI Advisory, and the founder of Artificial Intelligence, ASX-listed company Flamingo AI. The second only woman-led, that means both CEO and chair business, to ever list on the Australian Stock Exchange. Dr. Katrina Wallace, welcome to Telstra Behind the Mic. How are you? Yeah, I'm fantastic. Thanks, Adam. I'm really excited that we're going to explore AI, the concept of responsible and ethical AI, where's that taking the world, etc. But I'm equally fascinated that I'm, I'm interviewing someone who, if I caught you a little bit earlier in your life, it wouldn't be Dr. Katrina Wallace, it'd be constable or inspector or something. You, you have a, you have a, a law enforcement past. I do indeed, yeah. So my career is fairly checkered as all good entrepreneurs are from wanting to be a farmer, then into a police officer, a nightclub owner, an academic, and then an AI specialist. So yeah, it's, we call it a zigzag career. How, how, how far up the uh, the police, what's, what's the highest police rank I would have had to call you by? Yeah, just constable. Uh, I did just under four years in the New South Wales cops uh, in the Rocks, King's Cross and Darlinghurst. Back in the underbelly days it was, Adam. That would have been a fairly uh, uh, willing environment. What, 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 in all seriousness, what, what life skills do you pick up from four years of being the, you know, the, the, the front end of the, the thin line in blue in a place like that in Sydney in the, in the 80s? Yeah, well, I had a very comfortable middle-class white person upbringing, so, you know, very lucky and privileged. I got to really see the underbelly and it developed in me deep, empathy and compassion that a lot of people that end up in jail conducting crime have just had a really hard path. So for me, it was a beautiful introduction into human dynamics and organisational behaviour, actually. And I I went on then to do a PhD in organisational behaviour, inspired by my time in the cops. Well, it's interesting because organisational behaviour and individual behaviour is something that comes under the the, the influence of AI. So how, how do we join the dots from Constable Wallace to world-renowned AI ethics expert, Dr. Wallace. Give me the sort of one-minute dot-dot summary to get you from A to B there. Yeah, so I went on to do a PhD at the Australian Graduate School of Management and my area of expertise was organisational behaviour, but my study was the role technology plays in replacing human leaders, so I could always see that that was going to happen. And the way that technology will replace humans is through artificial intelligence and machine learning. Let's focus in there for people who might have heard of the concepts but don't really understand because there's many ways that technology can replace people, you know, automobiles and computers and, you know, big pieces of factory plant doing the job that might have taken 20 men, you know, 100 years ago to do. But when do we cross the line to it being artificial intelligence and machine learning. What What is AI? So the simplest way to understand AI is 
that it is technology that mimics human intelligence. And it's actually this concept has been around since the 1950s, but we're now at a stage where we have enough computational power, in fact, a trillion times more today than we had in the 1950s. We have big data to train algorithms and we have a a slowing down of traditional business and operational models allowing AI finally to come into its own. So AI is the fastest growing technology sector in the world now, valued at $327 billion in mm. 2021. The, the, the rate of change there is fascinating, isn't it? Because when you say back to the 50s, you've got people like Alan Turing, who people would know from Benedict Cumberbatch's fantastic uh, performance of his life in the movies a few years ago, who created the Turing test, the idea mm. being if someone was interacting with something behind a screen and they really couldn't tell if that was a person or a machine, well, if a machine could get to that level, it it had created a human-like interface, a human-like intelligence. That was the Turing test. And I can remember people going to uh, displays of the best we had in mimicking human behaviour by computers in the late 90s, early 2000s and saying, oh, it's quite quaint, but as soon as you ask them what temperature is it or did you have a nice day yesterday, the machine gets all fuddled up. And I don't think we'll ever get there. 10 years on, there was just this explosion in, was it was it just the explosion in computing power and speed that drove us to the point where we are now talking about systems where it's very difficult to tell if it's a human or a machine on the other side? Was it just a speed and grunt problem? And the big data. We finally had enough data to be training the algorithms, which we previously didn't have. So it'd be those two factors, yeah, for sure, that meant what, that we are now... What do now... you mean by training? Training mm. an algorithm? What, what, let's go back to that. What, what's an algorithm? <laughs> yeah. And how do you train an algorithm? Okay. So, so there are five core components of something that we regard as an artificial intelligence agent or, or software. So that is um, data, and we'll come back to that. The algorithms, also come back to that. Analytics, decision-making and automation. So data, algorithms, uh, analytics, decision-making, automation. They're the components of AI. Now, the algorithms are really mathematical formulas that are coded into software and they are trained to know how to do something or to recognise something or to analyse something through using big data to teach them how to behave. And it's usually humans who have to teach the algorithms using that data. And this is, Adam, where we come into a lot of problems because there are individual humans who are sitting down determining, is this a image of a professional person or is this an image of an unprofessional person and coding it into the machines? Now, I use that example because it's the classic one I do when I'm talking to large audiences about this, if you Google unprofessional hairstyles, you will find that the majority of images there are women of colour with Afro hairstyles. So what this means is a human, most likely given that nine in 10 AI engineers are male, possibly a young man has determined, or many young men determined that women of colour with Afro hairstyles are unprofessional and then the machine learns to take that as a truth. And and, and the concern with r- responsible AI or AI that's not responsible is, and you, you gave an example of programmers who don't know many professional people who have big Afro hairstyles will tend to classify those as an unprofessional look, or I've heard examples of software programs in the United States that take all the data 
about similar offences that people have committed and recommend to a judge a sentencing option. But when they comb back through the results, that system recommends African-American men get longer jail sentences than non-African-American men who otherwise seem precisely equal in what they present to the software program. They're examples of inbuilt biases in machines, but what, 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 what are some of the other concerns about an AI that's, in, in inverted commas, irresponsible? Yeah, so at the moment it really is we, f- we focus on justice and, and bias. So there are eight core principles around ethical AI and one of them is around the AI must not discriminate, it must be fair. And, and that's the one that at the moment we're really focused on. And, and so that's with regard to examples of credit being given to uh, much higher credit scores being given to men than to women, uh, healthcare being prioritised for Anglo-Saxons and, and not to people of minority groups. So the, the world is already rampant and full of examples, just terrible examples. And the, the reason that is is that we're using historical data to code the machines that are going to be running our world. And so if that data is unrepresentative, then we are just going to put at scale all of society's current ills. And that's frightening. And and so we know that large corporations now are starting to think about the, the, and the language you use is the unintended harms that AI can cause. So, you know, they can monitor some of the, the harms, but some of them are unintended that and they, they don't know that they're going to happen. And if they do happen at scale, it could be disastrous. Okay, so so people can understand the framework of a, a system that can develop learning or become more intelligent, but some people would argue, wouldn't they, that this is all code, this is all software, this is all data, so it's all just ones and zeros. How can it take on an ethical component or a moral component or be judged to be right or wrong? Surely it's just pure logic gates. It is. And we talk about AI being a reflection of its programmer. And so it does still start with the human intent and then left on its own, it can go down some difficult paths. So let's think about a programmer, innocently enough, programming an a machine learning application to win at a game. So let's say it's Fortnite, the computer game. And the program gives the instruction to the machine, uh, you must win this game. So the logic that you just talked about is taken on by the machine and the machine goes, yep, I need to win this game. So the machine will go out and start playing Fortnite against humans and become better and better and better and better and better and better and better until it wins every game it plays at Fortnite. And then it might say, okay, well, that was a game. I was told to win at a game. So then it'll go and find another game to play and starts to play that within a number of hours or days. It becomes the world expert at that. And then let's say the humans start getting a bit annoyed at this game. Well, there's no point playing Fortnite anymore because the machine wins every time. And then they said, well, someone needs to shut that machine down. Now, this machine is clever enough to know, well, humans could actually want to stop me winning. So I need to make sure that I continue to do what I've been instructed to do. And so I'll build a a process whereby I cannot be shut down. 
and I will go on to learn more games and win more things. And I may replicate myself over there in case something happens to this software, or I may access a power source so I know I'm not turned down. And then away it goes from the original intention of the programmer, which may have been quite innocent. That's one of these fundamental questions, isn't it, about whether AI will ever run away and, and, and be something we can't control. Some people argue, well, you could just pull the plug out from the wall and turn off the AI. And from what I understand, you know, different camps of very smart people are quite split on whether you could do that or whether, as you suggest, AIs could protect themselves and make themselves harder to be reined back in by humans who might uh, be, be a bit concerned about where the project's now going. I think that is where it will go. And I know there's great you know, sound logic that it doesn't look like the applications can actually do that at the moment. But uh, last week, there was a very powerful demonstration released by OpenAI called Codex. And Codex is using AI to instruct AI to program AI. And they give a a beautiful demonstration of this. And one of the the engineers at Codex says to the AI, just using his his natural voice, uh, build a website in this category. And they show how the AI goes away. It it actually knows four AI or machine learning programming languages, chooses which one to do, and then goes and, and puts up a fully functional website. So, so what is really interesting, Adam and I, and I learned this when I uh, designed a robot called Trinity. So uh, I, as you do, a lot of public speaking, and I thought, why, why would I need to do all the talking? Why wouldn't I build a robot that could speak instead of me? And, <laughs> and so I did, right? I built Trinity and uh, it's been on stage with me a few times. And the reason I wanted to build this robot is that it can learn everything that I know, it can never forget anything. It can work 24 by seven. It can be deployed overseas at a drop of a hat, you know, no need for flying on planes, etc. But when I was building this robot, I realized that it was me that I was coding into it. It was my values, my talking. I designed it as I wanted it to. And then when we're thinking, oh, Trinity, like it's not a she or a he, it's just ridiculous to have genders for robots, right? It's software, they're not human, don't gender them. But then secondly, I realised I was using Trinity as you or, or talking about it as I, and then I realised it's not a you or an I. It is, so, and even the way we put it together, we had a bit of Google this, bit of Amazon this, networked into that. It, it is an us. It is not a single, you know, sovereign individual being. It is, it is a complex network. And that's the bit when I realised, huh, this is not on its own. This is well connected into the into the network. I almost said the word matrix, but that would spook everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you, you use a great phrase that we don't want to, in inverted commas, bake in our biases, our inaccuracies, our misunderstandings of the world into the AI going forward. You, you, you talk about large organisations, and that's a great point, place to bring up the point that you, you've worked with Telstra and the Australian government for about two years now on creating a responsible AI index Report. Where do you start with something like this? You said there were eight underlying principles. How, how do you? How, what, what is the essence of a responsible AI index report? Yeah. So we have worked with uh, Telstra and the Department of Industry to and, and a bunch of other companies to work out eight principles for Australia's um, AI ethical 
principles. So I can quickly run through them that they're super interesting and super fast to do. So mm-hmm. one is that the AI must be built um, with human society and environment benefit in mind, must not come at a cost. Second one, it must be built with human-centred values in mind. Number three, it must be fair and not discriminate. Four, it must adhere to privacy and security requirements. Five, it must be reliable and safe. Six, it must be contestable. So anybody who has been harmed or disadvantaged must be able to contest it. Seven, and Adam, you know this is a really tricky one, the AI must be transparent and explainable, Mm. really difficult to do. And then eight, the AI must be accountable, or the AI, the company that's using the AI must be accountable for any harms that it it has caused. So we've taken that framework and ethical AI, AI, which is really those core eight principles, pretty well universally shared into a responsible AI maturity model. And within responsible AI, we have things like strategy, leadership, planning, governance, uh, monitoring and review, and ethical AI um, kind of sits at the heart of that. And we've just done Australia's first study of over 400 organisations, and we're we're delighted to have Telstra uh, partner with us on this to bring forward and measure how responsible Australian organisations are with regard to AI. Uh, People can dive deeper into this if they wish at the upcoming Vantage Remixed 2021 conference where Katrina and Stuart Powell from Telstra will be uh, deep diving into the creation of the index. I'll give some more details at the end of the podcast if people want to uh, enrol for that. You can look online right now for Vantage Remixed 2021 for details. Is it easy to say, um, uh, Katrina, how Australia is doing by international standards now that you've you've looked at 400 organisations and how they're progressing towards responsible AI? Yeah, well, it, it's fair to say that Australia is not very advanced in anything to do with AI. So we have at least a tenth of the investment per capita going into AI than we see perhaps in the United States mm-hmm. or, or in Europe. And we have a, a government which I think has not really been oriented towards Uh, technology being one of the foundational components of Australia's economy, which I think drastically needs to change. And we've actually seen the the launch of the first uh, Tech Council of Australia coming out in the last month, which which is excellent. So I think things are shifting a little bit. So so we are laggards, Adam, unfortunately, and, and that's going to be a real problem for Australia in the sense that what AI does it dissolves international borders. So we've seen this a bit through COVID. Now people all online, either doing Zooms internationally or ordering uh, products internationally, the the dissolving of international borders will come with the the proliferation of AI. Now, Australian-based companies, if they are not up to speed and starting to use and deploy AI for their advantage of their customers, I absolutely believe that we will start seeing our markets eroded or eaten into by the, these large international players, which is already happening. However, so so that's it. So I think we've got a long way to go to really get up to speed. And, and I'm delighted to have been invited to sit on the federal government's um, team that is going to, it's called the AI Initiative, Action Initiative, which is allocating the $124 million that was allocated in this year's budget to AI, first time ever, and to allocate that out to various projects. So, so that's kind of cool. But with regard to responsible AI, I can you know give the headline here, Adam, without mm. giving too much away before we launch the report, less than one in 10 organisations are in any way mature. Less than one in 10? Uh-huh. I assume that's not a great result. 
No, it's not great. <laughs> so, <laughs> no. What's, so a large organisation like Telstra I know does have a some focus towards AI, both the, the, the magnitude of the organisation and being you know, at, at, at the front line of the, the tech industry. What, what are examples of how a large company like Telstra might look to improve its practices with AI and what sort of challenges does an organisation like that face, especially with the whole, uh, the whole industry in Australia in, in a fairly embryonic stage? Yes. So it has to start, look, it really truly is a, a top-down and, and a bottom-up. What, what we found is when we have researched uh, engineers, they tell us that the, their bosses, the managers, push the responsibility for ethical AI down to them to say, mm-hmm. you guys are the coders, you're the ones handling data, you need to handle this ethically. And they're going, yeah, great, don't exactly know what that means or how to do that. So Just handball it back to the nerds, let them look <laughs> after it. Correct. And so luckily, so we, uh, Ethical AI Advisory, my firm partners very closely with the Gradient Institute. Uh, and between us, we have training programs for the nerds, for the for the engineers and the data scientists, uh, which are very good hands-on teaching them how to code and handle data in ethical ways. Then we do training for executive teams and for boards. So we're just bringing these um, more board and leadership ones to market now, but the, the gradient is excellent programs for, for the engineers and data scientists. So one thing is definitely it has to start with education as everything does from the board down and from the engineers up. There needs to be strong auditing components in place so that the, the data is audited, the algorithms are audited. And notice, Adam, I'll say audited rather than regulated. There, there is a challenge around thinking about regulating algorithms, but there there virtually is no regulation of the AI industry at all. Um, So auditing and then starting to put in place governance frameworks across the business to ensure that decisions are made that are in in alignment. We call this aligned AI, in alignment Mm. with the values of the company or the values of the employees or the values of the the consumers. So there's a bunch to do at an organisational design and behaviour level, and then there's just teaching the engineers how to code ethically. It's interesting, isn't it? And I don't want to, uh, you know, frighten people who are listening to this. It's a very important area, as you've made the case for. And one of the problems from what I understand here is that you know, in a, in a country like Australia, you will at least have large telcos and, and banks and other companies saying, okay, yeah, we, we accept this is important, we'll, we'll, we'll get on board, we'll follow the rules. There's the issue of potential, you know, rogue actors who are looking to use AI for their own nefarious ends are probably considerably less likely to sign up to whatever the cutting edge practices in security or ethics or responsibility even are. And the idea of AI being something that whoever first cracks some of these fundamental problems could create something that runs away without being easy to rein back in, well, there's a disproportionate chance it could be people who have you know, less wholesome incentives behind what they're trying to do with their AI in the first place who are less worried about putting those security rails about it that crack some of the, the problems first up. Am I, am I uh, overly paranoid to be raising those sort of issues or is that a, a big concern? Yeah, it is a genuine concern. So so the two areas of challenge are one we've already talked about, so what the machines are able to learn and do on their own. And then the second one is these machines getting in the hands of bad actors. And if we think about what AI can currently do, it can make things more efficient. It can do much better analysis. It can help make 
better decisions and it can automate things. That Those four things is pretty much what it can do now. So apply those things to in the hands of a bad actor to healthcare, so bioengineered um, disease, or into defence, into warfare, or into banking uh, and corruption of banking, or into telecommunications and corruption of telecommunications. All of these things, these big essential services are very much at risk. And in fact, Adam, I think it's, it's worth noting that when we look at this concept of risk and existential risk, and if we think of existential risk as being, well, what can really either destroy humanity by the end of the century or severely limit humanity's potential? If we look at all of the standard ones, so nuclear war, climate change, pandemic, asteroid hitting the earth, or bioengineered disease, these things actually have a according to the existential risk uh, theorists such as Toby Toby Ord, a one in a thousand to a one in a hundred thousand chance of destroying mm-hmm. humanity by the end of the century, whereas AI has a one in ten chance. And who knows this? Like nobody knows this. And so the the progression, this is one of the things why it's just so valuable that um, we have conversations like this and we're working with big corporations like Telstra who are influential and pow- powerful, is that the risk goes beyond somebody getting, you know, a bad credit score or not or getting a higher prison sentence. It goes into truly threatening humanity as we know it. And and that's not science fiction at all. It it is legitimately the concern. And if you speak to any of the really great thinkers in AI, they will all have this conversation with you. I'm getting towards the end of my sobering but fascinating conversation with Dr. Katrina Wallace, the founder and CEO of the Ethical AI Advisory Organization. She's a world expert in artificial intelligence and ethics. Let's finish on a slightly more positive note. Katrina, what, what, of what's currently going on, what's your, what's your favourite or most exciting use of AI or machine learning at the moment. Nerdy me goes back to that chess example of a couple of years ago, the idea that a neural network can unravel all the mysteries of a game that the smartest humans in that field in the world have been playing for centuries in just a matter of hours teaching itself absolutely blows my mind. What's what's something you've seen AI do recently or now that 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 inspires you? I think that the most outstanding leaps forward we're going to get is in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And so there is, um, take that exact application around gaming or chess or learning that and and think of that, Adam, in diagnosing diseases. So, and, and, you know, a lot of people, even with the pandemic, were very cautious. Oh, oh, look, it traditionally takes, you know, five years, five to six years to develop a a vaccine. You know, we've done it in less than a year. Is that a problem? And those of us in the data science field go, no, we don't don't believe it's a problem because we've had five years of technology advancement within the last 12 months because of, of the pandemic. So I think wonderful things in healthcare around disease diagnosis and robotics in uh, operations and so not needing a human doctor but a robotic doctor I think are going to be outstanding. We're also going to see some fabulous things in the social area and field. So uh, a beautiful app called Seeing AI is an app for those who have sight impairment and the app will actually narrate for them their their environment that they're walking through. We're seeing fabulous work done with children with autism where there are robots that are helping coach the child in how to have um, 
how to improve their social interactions. Mm. And we're seeing apps such as uh, Child Tracker, which is an app that was released in the in India and looking for missing children and identified three and a half thousand missing children within the first couple of days that it was uh, in play. We're also going to see some very clever apps, which I know are AI-based coming to market around domestic violence. And, and so some of these social concerns that we haven't been able to really address well, I do think AI will make a remarkable difference there. So I, I am a lover and hugely excited and positive about AI and, and what it will bring, bring, the benefits it'll bring. I just also need everyone to know that there is a darker side to it. I must admit, when I, when I look at what's coming down the tubes, the one that blows my mind, and in, in, in raising this, please, I, I, I don't want to invite a tsunami of backlash from people who enjoy studying languages at high school. If you enjoy studying another language, knock yourself out. But whenever I see hundreds of thousands of kids forced to study another language in a system where they're not doing enough of it anyway to be genuinely immersed, and a few years later they can barely remember a word out of it, and I just reflect on the fact that it, it's only, I'm sure, a short period of time before I speak into my phone in English and my friend across the world just hears me in Icelandic yeah. on a system that's trained itself to virtually perfect quality. And and and, and the, the, the thought that my children, or certainly their children, will grow up in a world where there is no such thing as a yeah. language barrier is, is just absolutely mind-blowing. These are really exciting times we are in and uh, emerging into. But I'm sure on behalf of many people listening, Katrina, I can say I'm happy that you're there at the front line fighting for ethical and responsible AI. I can't wait uh, to hear talk to us about it at the Vantage Remixed 2021 Festival. Dr Katrina Wallace, thank you so much for your time. Oh, such a pleasure, Adam. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.